Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, reporting for duty. And we are here this week to hold our annual event where we like to look at the current state of Star Trek and break it all down from the TV to the film to the merchandise to everything that represents Star Trek and talk about how the franchise is looking at this particular point in time. I'm just wondering, just a bit bit of a recap over this past year since we probably last did it. Uh, We had season two of Lower Decks. We also got to see the premiere of Star Trek Prodigy, season two of Picard, season four of Star Trek Discovery, and of course, the inaugural season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Cam, I think in the past year, we've gotten more Star Trek in one full calendar year than we have seen, I think, since like 1998, when Deep Space Nine and Voyager were still on. I think, did, did uh, was Star Trek Insurrection, was that 98 or 99? I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. But anyways, it's just like uh, just, just a, a ton, a ton of stuff to, that uh, we were blessed to have through and do reviews. Um, well, I, not, not all the uh, content was uh, <laughs> well, uh, of equal stature. <laughs> Um, we also had the Star Trek Motion Picture Director's Edition land on streaming. Um, plus, we had, I think, uh, 17 more Star Trek films announced this year that we were all very excited about. <laughs> and not a one of them will ever make it to the silver screen. Maybe one. We'll see. We'll <laughs> but we see. can talk we'll about see. that a bit later. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we kick off with, with, with what's coming next? You know, what does the current state of uh, Star Trek hold for us? Uh, you know, just last week, uh, the Blu-ray for season two of Lower Decks uh, was uh, delivered to stores. I think you and I, we're going to pick up copies soon and, and maybe do a, a season in review, uh, maybe in a few weeks, uh, because uh, August 25th, that's when we just found out that Lower Deck Season 3 will be premiering. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I think, Cam, correct me if I'm wrong, but we did weekly reviews, or did we kind of bunch a couple of them up uh, every few weeks? I'm, I'm kind of blanking, because I know for a fact we ended up bunching um, the uh, Discovery podcasts together. Did we do that with Lower Decks last year? I think we may have done it once, maybe twice, but by and large, we did them episode by episode. Okay, so uh, that kind of uh, fills out the calendar for the next little while there. Now, we we can dive into your thoughts on Lower Decks, but I I just want to point out my guess, though, is after Lower Decks wraps up its third season, I'm going to guess that's when we're going to get more Star Trek Prodigy. Do you you think that's likely, or do you think it's just, uh, you know, (laughs) shrug your shoulders, who knows, maybe in 2027 we'll get uh, the, the, the next batch of season one episodes? I think there's a really good chance they'll drop two and a half episodes of Star Trek Prodigy right before we get uh, the return of Picard or something. But yeah, I I would have to imagine they're going to put out the next five because they've said that season one of Prodigy is going to be 20 episodes. I suspect they're going to break up the last 10 the same way they did the first 10. Mm -hmm. So it would make sense to me they're going to probably put Prodigy between Lower Decks and whatever the next live action show to hit the air. Picard, I guess. That makes the most sense to me. Okay, so are, are we saying that season one of Prodigy premiered in 2021 and the season <laughs> one finale will be in 2023? Uh, there is a chance. There is I, a chance, I, which is I such agree. A... <laughs> I agree. 
with Prodigy, it's so weird because we're going to talk about the whole TV world of Star Trek right now, but I almost don't regard Star Trek Prodigy as existing within the world of Star Trek TV. Like, I don't meet people who are talking about the show. I don't really know anyone outside of you um, and, you know, our friends in the Star Trek kind of world who are watching it. Um, they are dropping episodes five at a piece with massive gaps in between. So it's hard for me to, like, include Prodigy when I'm talking about what does Star Trek mean to people right now? Yeah, I mean, I recommend Star Trek Prodigy to lots of uh, Star Trek, like, like more of the casual Star Trek friends I know that have kids. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And I haven't ever heard any follow-ups on that. I, I just wonder how much of it is just kind of going through the effort of, of getting your app running and, and sitting down there. And who knows what the attention span is. Because the thing is, like, I, I'm, I, I'm not a parent, but I don't think this, but like most of my friends with kids, they're more in like kind of that toddler age right now. Whereas I think mm-hmm. Prodigy is aimed more at like the 8 to 10-year-olds. Is, does that sound about right to you? I would say that. Yeah, it's the same sort of age that would be watching like Star Wars Rebels and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Um, what, what, What's your excitement level or just with regards to the return of uh, Lower Deck Season 3? It's pretty high. Um, Season 2 was... I, I enjoyed Season 2 Lower Decks, but it was like... I guess a low-key disappointment in the sense that, like, the back half of Season 1 was so strong that we were like, oh, man, they are going to come out swinging in Season 2. And, like, Season 2 was a little inconsistent as well. So I'm hoping with Season 3 we get a really great season that finally kind of picks up on the show's strengths and carries us through, you know, Episodes 1 through 10. Because Season 2 is good. Um, and there's some great episodes mixed in, but it didn't feel like that real just like explosion out of the gate. So that's what I'm hoping for for season three. Plus, let's just keep introducing more fun lore the way that like season two did. I loved what they were doing with like the introduction or the reintroduction, I should say, of the Mugatu and just some of the overall arcing stuff. So like, let's keep going down those rabbit holes. Let's keep exploring elements of Star Trek that have been kind of shuttled aside because I think like... Shows like, you know, whether it's Strange New Worlds or Picard, they're going to touch on a lot of the popular elements of Star Trek. What I love about Strange New Worlds is the way it can work in stuff that people not necessarily have forgotten, but it's kind of been relegated to the sidelines. And I'm assuming you're talking about Lower Decks, not Strange New Worlds, right? Sorry, sorry, yes, Lower Decks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I made that same uh, mix-up uh, last week as well. But uh, look, I, I, I think the show didn't quite carry on the momentum that we had from season one going into the uh, the first half of season two. That that season two premiere, it wasn't very good. I, I, no. I don't think I really laughed. And whereas every other episode, you know, there's at least a couple gags that I could uh, get a kick out of. And I'm pretty sure I know why you really enjoyed the return of the Magatu there. But I, I think, <laughs> you know, just the way that they left the second season off, a bit of a cliffhanger there. I, I have to believe that there will be kind of that continued momentum uh, that uh, I think at least the last two episodes of Lower Deck season two were a little bit more consistent. As you said, this one, season two is just a little bit more all over the place, whereas season one, it was more like they're finding their feet in the first half, they found their feet in the second half, and then I just, uh, it was just a little bit more of a mixed bag in the second season. Overall, still enjoying it. They're having fun in the Star Trek universe, and when we were talking about the uh, finale of Strange New Worlds uh, last week, I I think what we kind of agreed is like, even though it was a serious episode, you could tell that they're having fun with what the uh, this universe 
has to offer is kind of this creative canvas and wants to paint. And I think Lower Decks has been really good at doing that uh, before a, a lot of the other live action series, you know, like uh, Picard or Discovery. Well, it struck the balance of doing like episodic stories, but having overarching plot elements. And that's something that Strange New Worlds has, I think, done quite well in its first season. And so I'm hoping to see them continue that in season three. It's interesting with the distance now from season two, when you look back at, you know, uh, Lower Decks seasons one and two, do you put them on a similar plateau or do you regard season two as being noticeably better? Uh, Lower Decks being noticeably better than uh, season two being noticeably better than season one? Yeah. No. I, I would say season one is probably overall stronger because at least you can delineate between that first half and that second half. Yeah, and I think season two's strength was its ability to mix up its characters better because season yep. one typically just kept them in their very <laughs> confined duos of, you know, Boimler and Mariner and then Rutherford and Tendi. Whereas I liked how in season two they got a little more playful and would put different characters together and so in that sense i think it's stronger than season one but in terms of like just a batch of episodes and entertainment value that comes from those 10 they're pretty similar to me and it's weird i think i have nostalgia is the wrong word because it's too recent but i think i have a little more fondness for season one maybe because it had that sense of discovery uh not star trek discovery but just the discovery of that world versus season two being happy to be back, but getting a little, just a little bit of frustration that the show wasn't quite where it definitely could be. Yeah, there, there's just, uh, I I forget the name of the episode, but you, you recall when they're on that star base and they're pretty much driving through the uh, the the animated equivalent of the uh, the dune buggy, the, the Argo, yeah. and there's just this manic pace to it. It's just this kind of this frantic momentum and I, it's kind of when I start to get disengaged a little bit, you know, and I'm like, I, I'm more here for the, the characters. And I think, wasn't the lesson overall that, you know, James T. Kirk uh, wasn't always a superstar, you know, like he had to scratch his name into like some bar table or something. I, it's just that sort of stuff where I think they were reaching for the stars and then they uh, hit more of the stratosphere, I should say. And so I, I, I just... I think by the end of the season, though, I I think they were, you know, I, like, uh, I, I forget the Klingon uh, words, but essentially it's the episode called, you know, Three Ships, and you're kind of doing, like, kind of uh, different perspectives from three different starships about what's going on. When they're doing that sort of creative stuff, it's nothing you'll ever see go on in, like, Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Picard, and that's where I'm like, okay, that's the genius, you know? Almost simplifying things to a certain degree and just making these kind of like fun adventures that have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, and I think like the show, even though I'm like kind of being critical of season two, I definitely think the show is on the right track, which is not something that could be said for some of the live action shows. It feels like Lower Decks is that like really dependable, fun show that you know could be that next level great. It's kind of like maybe if you're watching season two the simpsons right <laughs> and you know that the show just needs to, just needs to raise the bar just that little bit more and you're in like just clear sailing because the one you named three ships like that was one of the big triumphs of season two i think and just telling a story in a way that couldn't be done in live action or probably wouldn't be done in live action and at least seemed to open the doors for some interesting things in the future that they could be touching back on so like you don't have to pay for sets on uh, 
on lower decks. And so, like, I'd like to see them do more things like that and get a little more experimental. You don't have to be, like, viewer unfriendly to people who don't know Star Trek. You can still be inviting, but take some, you know, some big swings. Well, it was, it was interesting. Just uh, my youngest brother was asking me about uh, Lower Decks uh, because he's a big Rick and Morty fan. And of course, uh, Mike McMahon, the creator of Lower Decks, uh, he used to write for Rick and Morty. So even my brother, who isn't a big Star Trek person, uh, he's been following the series and he's been enjoying it as well. And um, he kind of knows that there must be some jokes and references going over his head, but he's still enjoying it overall. Yeah, and I would like to come across more people in my life who are picking up on Lower Decks because I genuinely think it is um, a show that could bring in new fans. And yes, they're not going to get all of the Star Trek references, but I think there's like a high energy element to the comedy. And I think the characters are really well defined and really funny in their own right that this could be a pretty good bridge show um, for bringing new fans in. Because that's something they desperately need to do. Picard is not bringing in new fans. Discovery is probably not bringing in many new fans, especially at this point. And so I really look to shows like Lower Decks and um, and Strange New Worlds to do that. Prodigy has, I think, the ability to do that. They just need to be more consistent in releasing episodes and getting people interested in the ongoing adventures. Well, yeah, Kate Mulgrew was giving an interview recently. Uh, she was just talking about uh, her own experience uh, playing Admiral Janeway and uh, Hollow Janeway. Uh, she made a kind of a, a reference that I, I kind of did not understand what she was referring to, but uh, the interviewer was talking about, you know, what's it like being, uh, being like two Janeways at once? And then she said, uh, three Janeways. There's Captain Janeway, Admiral Janeway, and Hologram Janeway. What what could she possibly mean by Captain Janeway. Are, are there flashback sequences to the Delta Quadrant we might get a taste of if, you know, if uh, I'm Coming Chakotay turns into appearances, uh, even more appearances from one Robert Beltran? I, I think that there could be the possibility of kind of a, a cool flashback sequence that could include other folks from the Voyager cast. Tom Paris in a plate. <laughs> well, we saw that on Prodigy, they already brought up uh, legacy characters onto the show so anything's possible and i i wonder if also like because it's star trek we could even get like a time travel type episode where we have maybe like three different janeways together at the same time you know look at how the finale of strange new worlds uh, season one had you know admiral pike alternate timeline admiral pike and captain pike so i would not put it past them especially in animation where that sort of thing is actually really easy to do to have multiple Janeways together. Yeah. Uh, would be Maj Kala. Is that the legacy character that uh, you're most wanting them to bring back in animated form for Star Trek Prodigy in a flashback sequence? In Prodigy, no. But as soon as you said Maj Kala, I'm like, that's the sort of character I would love to see on Lower Decks. Uh, Maj Kala, uh, not with us anymore. Um or was he? Did he die? Yeah. I don't even remember. No, he didn't. Remember, he did uh, die. the last time? Oh. No, he didn't. The last time we saw him was after Seska died, and so he uh, took the baby, right, and uh, walked away and uh, took off on a, a little starship. I am so in favor of bringing Maj Kala onto. I think Lower Decks is the better fit, even though um, Prodigy is more Voyager friendly. Have a hard time imagining a world where they're like, you know what, we got to bring those Kazon onto uh, onto Prodigy. They did bring Kazon, or at least uh, uh, Tom was referring to Kazon on uh, mm -hmm. Lower Decks this last season. I, I just, I don't, 
I, I, I agree with you, like, um, why bring back Moishkala of all people? But I just think the mechanics of it fit better for Prodigy versus I have no idea why Moishkala would ever show up on uh, <laughs> on lower decks. Just they're on opposite sides of the galaxy. Well, I think it's very clear that Maj Kala from day one was a traveler. Okay, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I think you just uh, cracked the code there. That uh, send that into the writers. So uh, yeah, I, and <laughs> I, I want to go to something you said earlier about like how Picard seems to be the most likely show to premiere. Maybe after if it goes lower decks, then a couple more episodes of Prodigy. I agree. I I think we're likely looking at. Season three, the final season of Picard premiering early 2023. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's January 2023. We get 10 episodes of that. And then what do you think is more likely? Because, like, they're already filming Strange New Worlds. They're doing production of Discovery, but I'm not so certain, like, actual primary photography has begun on season five of Discovery. Especially we have uh, like Sneakle Martin Green. She's doing like conventions uh, as we speak, you know. So, um, I, so would it? But would it make more sense that Discovery goes right after Picard or not? I don't know. What, what do you figure? Because you can you could bank Strange New Worlds for a little while. But hmm, the thing about Strange New Worlds is it just came out of the canon so hot, and people seem to really be excited about it. Yeah, that it almost makes sense to follow it up quickly. It's kind of like the whole you know adage they talk about bands who have a you know hit debut album they say you have your whole lifetime to make your first album but the second one you got to get out real quick so i almost wonder if they want to capitalize on the excitement over strange new worlds by getting it out in advance of discovery because discovery you know season five is going to do however it does that audience will probably show up but like there's no real excitement for discovery it's not driving any sort of you know, press notes or, you know, sites aren't going to be covering it. Whereas like Strange New Worlds is right now kind of a lightning rod just for getting, you know, eyeballs. So it would make sense to me in terms of just the business to get Strange New Worlds back as fast as you can. All I can say is that the uh, pop culture podcasts and, you know, general pop culture blogs and news sites that I follow, uh, there's really no coverage of Discovery anymore you know like those recaps aren't going on it's it's just got no buzz you know whereas strange new worlds I, i'd say the opposite they, like those same sites they were excited about strange new worlds their rave reviews it wasn't like anybody was talking about like what a an amazing season of uh, discovery we just had you know so i like i agree with you i like i think it would make most sense even just from a production standpoint You've got Picard already finished filming. Strange New Worlds in the middle of filming its second season. Discovery, if it a little bit hasn't begun, then I'd say that it's pretty imminent. But my guess is that Strange New Worlds will be in the can before Discovery is. And that's kind of why it makes most sense for it to probably premiere, I'd say, spring of 2023. That's my best guess. Yeah, I think that makes like complete sense. And just that they are also being quite... Um you know, the creators and stuff are giving a lot of interviews lately, hyping season two, talking about how there's going to be, you know, an Ortega's episode and various other elements. So it seems like they're just already trying to get people excited about what's coming in season two. And there is nothing like that coming out of Discovery. There is no one saying like, we have huge things coming in season five Discovery. It's all just been kind of quiet. Um, We do have, uh, I think, New York Comic Con, I think. Is it coming up uh, in like a week or so? 
Um, so maybe they have a big announcement for Discovery there. But uh, beyond that, I, I don't know. It seems like it's pretty quiet until... But even like season four Discovery, we got those trailers. But did you ever really hear them say anything exciting about the show in advance of it airing? Uh, I think is either Sneakwood Martin Green or Alex Kurtzman. All they said is, this is a season about uncertainty. <laughs> Uncertain but, creativity, yes. Yeah, no kidding. Um, is, is it New York Comic Con that's coming up, or is it San Diego Comic Con that's coming up at the end of the month? Oh, it's San Diego. Yes, San Diego. Yeah, yeah. And I also like how you said that they are hyping season two of, Disco- or, of Strange New Worlds because there's going to be an Ortegas episode. Um, the character, the main character who got the least amount of screen time and the least amount of character depth. I don't know if I'm quite hyped on Ortegas. I wish they'd give her something more to do, but I think that was a character that uh, they, they did a bit of a disservice to. It, like She was the, the Harry Kim or you know Travis Mayweather of season one of Strange New Worlds. There's been a bit of a low-key apology to her going on, I think, and they have been hyping that Ortegas episode because they know that they didn't do enough with that character. You can't... <laughs> You can't hype something that has zero, like, um, connection to it. It's like, it'd be like saying, like, people are hyping the return of Travis Mayweather to uh, the Star Trek universe. It's like, can you really hype that, though? I would say you can if the people are vocal about not getting that. And I would say the fact that they are saying this means they've been hearing things and they know that fans want more from this character. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so look, uh, I, I, some other television-related news to share. It was uh, Picard and I believe Strange New Worlds. They uh, nabbed a couple Emmy nominations last week. Uh, those are all in like technical categories, uh, sound editing, costumes, makeup. I, I believe there are a total of five. Um, nothing for Star Trek Discovery. And I, I despite, I think, Lower Decks got some nominations in its previous season but i don't believe it got any uh this past season but um for me i i know the i enjoy watching uh, the emmys um mostly just you know for for the uh, the monologues and the, and the gags that they do in between uh the reading of the uh, winners but again it, it, it's it's very much like the academy uh it's a very frustrating sort of uh, award show because you look at you look at some of the nominations that uh, are given out, and you're, you you know for a fact these aren't actually particularly good shows. It, it, it's more about or movies. It's more about the the politicking that goes on behind the scenes. Whereas when there are you know uh, big movies or shows that you're a fan of and you know that are genuinely good, when they get nominated, then you go well. Then you crack your knuckles and, and figure that they have some sort of. Uh, uh, integrity there it's just one of those frustrating things overall but it's still kind of cool that star trek uh, is still getting some emmy recognition uh, you know 56 years into it i am a little disappointed that discovery didn't get a production design emmy nomination for putting those uh flame flashers on the back wall <laughs> oh <laughs> i forgot about the uh yes the 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 perfectly timed uh flames that were coming out of the uh the the vents there like it, it was super distracting like i mentioned this before in the show but it's just like if they had a shot on burnham for a long enough time you could see that the flames are going in a perfectly timed pattern you know uh, which i don't think that's what happens when your ship is damaged no no i would say that is exactly right and i mean it just looked ugh, it's like they bought them at the metallica garage sale <laughs> 
they're yeah. like, guys, we don't need these anymore. You know, the load tour is long in the past. And Discovery was like, hot damn, we're going to put those on the wall and make them look really impressive. Maybe they weren't meant to signify damage. Maybe it's uh, Burnham's version of going to red alert. Uh, you know, she, so she's got like the <laughs> the fire blasting. and But she was in that little cone of silence, you know, that she used to talk down book. And so that's why we couldn't actually hear uh, for whom the bell tolls well. Uh, oh. uh, <laughs> they're, uh, you know, fighting some sort of... Did they get into like any actual like ship-to-ship combat or was it mostly just DMA stuff that was like crushing them? I think it was just DMA stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm like, I, so we had the uh, the prisoner episode in which, uh, you know, they're trying to get those folks, uh, those colonists uh, to safety, but I don't think there's any ship-to-ship combat there. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blanking. Was, was there maybe some Tarka and Book versus the Discovery crew? Maybe that was kind of the only ship-to-ship combat uh, just in the last third of the season or so. Yeah, what was the um cuz the 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 you know the fire pots or whatever they're called on the back walls like I remember them being used heavily in that episode stormy weather but that was more of a DMA thing. Yeah. And yeah. they also were used either the premiere or the second episode. Uh, because that's where it first kind of jumped out at us. Right. Okay. Well, uh and then <laughs> I'll also recall that the finale was just manic as well with regards to um, trying to prevent the DMA from crushing the populations of both uh, Earth and uh, Navarre, you know, at that point. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just like it, it's one of those ideas that, you know, the producers thought, oh, this is going to look cool. But they didn't really think through, like, what, what happens if it's perfectly timed? They should have gone for more of that randomness. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they didn't have those sorts of things on other Star Trek shows. I mean, yes, they would often do goofy things like have rubble fall on people <laughs> and that sort of thing. But like, um, just having those perfectly timed explosions looked really weird. And when you look at like the first uh, three seasons of Discovery, I have, I don't know about you, but I have zero complaints about like the ship destruction stuff or the battle scene uh, scenes seeming like kitschy looking i thought they were pretty effective i didn't really understand the addition of those because they made it look actually more artificial uh do you recall that they were also putting the uh, actors on wires uh for maybe the first two episodes uh that the dma showed up on and then they quickly got rid of the uh the gravity stuff that uh was disturbing the ship oh i had completely forgotten about that it looked terrible it, like, it was it a choice yeah it was a choice and goofy yeah so <laughs> Uh, so I guess what we're saying, Cam, um, current state of Star Trek, uh, we, we've both kind of like lost faith in the creative team behind Discovery. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll still tune in, but I think what happened last season is you and I could not, for the life of us, bring us, ourselves to do week-to-week reviews anymore. Like, we would have to bunch them up together, you know, two or three episodes at a time i think one week we may have done four and i think that was maybe just a bit too much but i it was just like it was a bit of a slog to get through last season it was and it's interesting because picard season three marks the end of um the picard journey discovery feels i mean they haven't come out and said it but it certainly feels like the final season for star trek discovery um we are now in a place where we to the best of our, perhaps, knowledge or guessing, 
Strange New Worlds is the only live-action Star Trek show going now because the other two are basically wrapping it up. Picard's already finished, you know, production, basically. Um, so, like, I would have to imagine we have another Star Trek live-action show coming this year, right? Or not this in 2022, but in 2023. I don't think so. I, I no? Like, maybe, maybe a, a new show will be announced uh, you know, mm-hmm. at maybe in the fall of this year or else early 2023. But I don't think that they'll have production going on it in time for the end of 2023. I think it's just too far out. Because remember how long it took from the time that um, Discovery Season 2 wrapped and then they eventually announced the Pike spinoff until the time that we actually saw it? I think it was, what, like four years? Maybe yeah. three years, you know? Yeah. So I would say, yeah, the earliest we would see whatever new live action series is coming i would say 2024 sometime and uh, right now it seems as if it's the academy series that they're trying to get something going um they still haven't officially said no to the section 31 spinoff despite the fact that um i don't know nobody seems to want to watch it the developers behind it uh, are no longer writing in the star trek universe michelle yo is signed up for uh to star in a new netflix series but they, someone still keeps trying to get people excited for it, and I just don't see it happening. And also, with everything, everywhere, all at once being such a phenomenon, like I just feel like Michelle Yeoh is going to have some really interesting job offers coming up. And uh, I do not highlight Section 31 as a really interesting job offer. Well, what would you rather watch? A Giorgio-led Section 31 spinoff or a Tilly-led Academy spinoff? <laughs> Oh my god. Well, I mean, look, Michelle Yeoh, just as an actor, is going to be watchable no matter what you put her in. Like, she just has that gravitas. So, like, I guess I'm going to come down on the side of the Section 31 with Michelle Yeoh just because she'll entertain me. I like Mary Wiseman, and I like Tilly, but I don't know about her leading a Starfleet Academy show, especially an Academy show set in the 32nd century, which, from what we've seen, would not be the most promising of shows. So I guess I gotta say Section 31. I agree with you for all the reasons you outlined just there. That that <laughs> uh, Academy episode of Discovery was just awful to sit through. Like, I, 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 I could not stand it. It was just so trite, uh, just cliche after cliche. It's like, is every episode going to be about, you know, uh, disparate species all serving underneath the Starfleet banner and these young aliens just need to learn to get along at the end, by the end of every episode? Like, that, that would kill me to watch. I'd, I'd rather them do something, you know, just uh, more contemporary. And by that, I mean, you know, uh, 2501 or 2502, whatever the uh, quote-unquote contemporary year uh, that we all think of Star Trek to be at this point, which is the, the year that uh, Star Trek Picard is taking place right now. I think that is the era that would interest most people. And my big concern is that, like, they're going to announce that, um, you know, Discovery is going to wrap up after season five, and then they just roll the whole creative team from Discovery into <laughs> the Academy show, uh... which would be terrifying. <laughs> I mean, look, here, let me say this, though. Um, okay, I, I found Discovery Season 4 torture to uh, podcast on uh, week to week. I, I legit had fun uh, podcasting about Picard Season 2 every week because that show was so bad. 
like um mind-numbingly bad and like it, it, it just made by people that don't understand television storytelling at least the discovery folks they at least understood the basics of it it was just done in a, a really like boring way um if they rolled the creative team behind star trek discovery over to a, a, an academy series that takes place in like the 31st century i'm i i, I don't think i could get the, the the same picard jollies out of that endeavor uh, as i i would hope you know like I, I think that would be torture for us to kind of uh podcast about week to week we, we might have to do you know quarter or half season uh catch-ups <laughs> with the show or something or we'll do the whole season as just like a five minutes at the end of an episode of the podcast. Yeah, yikes, yikes. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, so uh, that, that that's what we would do with Obi-Wan Kenobi or the Orville or uh, Mandalorian. Um, what would we call our Starfleet Academy uh, recaps, Cam? If, if we're using bad puns like the uh, the Mandalorian or, or Cam Delorton report or the um, uh, Orbi-Wan cam nobi um uh recaps what would the starfleet academy terrible pun have to be so i'm trying to work your name in my it would be like a cad damn was it a cam to me <laughs> what's the, <laughs> the okay. pronunciation of this uh starfleet yeah. a cam doorty oh my god yeah. <laughs> that's probably well, worse me, than the show <laughs> let me ask you this question and this is a question that i posed in one of the facebook groups and people pretty much suggested i was an idiot for even thinking it but like if we were gonna get what would be the name of the the academy spinoff like i suggested you know uh would you really want to call it star trek starfleet academy because you have like the word star in your title twice which sounds really goofy i, I like i suggest why not just call it you know starfleet academy or and then somebody said every single star trek series has had the word star trek in it and then i piped up and said what about enterprise and the person never responded to me but um I, you know like i understand what they're saying it's like it, it almost feels as if you need to have the word star trek in it but could you get away with just star trek the academy or like cause that sounds kind of goofy as well but i don't know what do you think um yeah i i think what would be the most likely is it's called Star Trek Starfleet Academy in the same way that Star Trek Picard is, you know, Star Trek Picard, where it's like giant font says Star Trek or sorry, Starfleet Academy. But then like there's the small little Star Trek over it. And no one really refers to Picard as Star Trek Picard. Everyone okay. just says Picard. But they want the full name there just for branding purposes. But it's not highlighted. It's not in equal font size next to the you know the main Starfleet Academy. How about uh, Star Trek? Uh, you know, teeny teens or something like that. I don't know. Like, it's kind of like I just like I, I think Star Trek Starfleet Academy sounds terrible. Like at least Star Trek Picard, I could wrap my head around. But just it like Star Trek Starfleet Academy. Uh, it, it, it does not roll off the tongue very well. And I think the marketing people would have uh, some long conversations with the executives about what would really make sense. And I just like, I know what you're saying. It, it makes sense from a logical point of view, but I don't know how much sense it makes from the marketing perspective. Although I, I agree with you though. And like the marketing perspective is you're getting that SEO, that search engine optimization, if you have the word Star Trek right in there. So I don't know. I, I feel very conflicted on this. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just go with Star Trek Academy or, you know, Star Trek cadets. There we go, Cam. Oh, right. Hey. Yeah. Um... Star Trek cadets of Starfleet. 
<laughs> um, Star Trek Academy years. Um, there's all sorts of things you could do. I wonder, though, like, if you're calling a show, you know, Prodigy, you want Star Trek there because people don't necessarily know what Prodigy means. But, like, Starfleet Academy does have some brand awareness. People have heard that term many times in even the JJ films. So a general audience has heard it. They've also had video games called Starfleet Academy. Like, maybe that term on its own could exist without a Star Trek. Although I say that, and I've just used the Picard example a couple minutes ago. So, like, it's not like people didn't know who Picard was. But I think you might be able to sneak just Starfleet Academy through as the title. I'll tell you what. What what if, okay, you've got four seasons, you know, like, uh, that's how long, you know, uh, the the show would go for. Because I, I think that the general idea is that's it's like university you know you do four years and then you graduate so let's say you have starfleet academy for four seasons what if you really really like this cast but you know that contracts are gonna have to be renegotiated if you go into fifth season does it even make sense you know for an academy show to go five seasons what if you know you go four seasons and then the spin-off from that is just called simply starfleet you you drop the academy do you get away with having a Star Trek show simply called Starfleet? Or is that getting just a little bit too cute by half? Might be a little too much, but it feels like I wouldn't rule that out again. Like, I think that makes sense because it feels like we're in a weird place with the TV shows. Maybe some like larger picture stuff where Picard's wrapping up, Discovery's wrapping up. We just have Strange New Worlds, but it feels like... There's going to be more Star Trek shows coming. Academy seems like a very viable one they've been developing for a long time. But, like, I don't know where they're going with their total live-action TV franchise. Alex Kurtzman has talked about doing, like, event crossover type stuff. You know, kind of like a shared universe element with their shows. It also feels like they've kind of exhausted all the legacy characters who would be spinning off into their own stuff. Unless they're going to use Picard Season 3 to, like, you know, kickstart a... Worf show or they're going to use um, you know Picard to launch Seven into her own show but it feels like those opportunities are getting thinner and thinner so I don't know like how they're going to define what Star Trek is going forward. Okay so <laughs> I wanted to double check I just did. I would just assume they were called Short Treks um, they're actually officially called Star Trek Short Treks Cam so um yep. just like i said no there's no way you can have the word star in it twice well you have the word trek in it twice and um that's kind of goofy but kim as you were saying before does anyone call it star trek short treks like people don't call it star trek picard people just call it picard and here people just call it short trek so yeah maybe it's maybe you're right this entire time i i i'll give that to you uh maybe it'll just go with uh, star trek starfleet academy yeah so, like, it seems to me very likely we're going to get a show announcement, I would think. Maybe a new show announcement at, if not San Diego Con, one of the upcoming okay. cons, like okay. one of the bigger ones. What do you think is going to be? Because to me, like Starfleet Academy, they've been talking about it endlessly. But is it a show, like, that they can announce where people get genuine excitement and there is legit press coming out of it? I'll give you... <laughs> this is how. Um... It does not take place in like the 30th century or whatever. It takes place contemporary, contemporaneously with uh, Star Trek uh, Picard. And it, the lead role will be one Commandant Worf. Yeah, that's one way. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
like I think you need like a legacy character to really carry the show. And I don't think just based on that Tilly episode, as you said, I like Mary Wiseman. I liked what they were doing with the character for at least the first two seasons of Discovery. I just, I, I, I don't know if I can see a show led by her. So I think that's why you're going to have to bring back a legacy character. And as um, Seven of Nine already established uh, in this last season of Picard, she's not allowed to be in Starfleet uh, because she's Borg. Um, even though for some reason Echep was allowed to join Starfleet and get his eyeball pulled out. That never happened. That never happened. But I wonder, here, Cam, we were talking about the seven, a potential for a Seven of Nine spinoff. What if it's just Seven of Nine in Starfleet Academy as like this um, oh, wow. 54-year-old woman who's spanned the galaxy. She knows everything there is, but she's the one who has to put up with these punk kids that don't know anything. Sharing a dorm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Her roomies keep leaving the toilet seat up, you know. Like uh, all sorts of campus hijinks. Yeah, <laughs> it's Animal House. <laughs> she has to smash the Vulcan Lear against the walls, you know, and uh, somebody won't stop playing. Sucking it to the dean. <laughs> spiking, <laughs> spiking the punch. I I kind of like Grouchy Wharf as the dean. That would be amazing. That would be a real like lot of fun. Shaking his fist in the air. <laughs> Annika! <laughs> it's a show no one's demanding, but I'm in favor of. Well, well, this is why I'm in favor of something like like that, because it's kind of goofy. It's more like a let's hang out sort of show, you know, versus like, I, I'm very worried it's going to be a very self-serious show if it ever comes to pass. You know, like that episode of, of Discovery was a very self-serious examination of what it means to be a cadet. Um, I think you can do that. We saw that in the first duty on Star Trek TNG, but... Uh, it's a very creative, a different creative team that you got in the Discovery crew versus the TNG crew that could produce um, a fantastic cadet episode versus kind of a, a turd of a cadet episode. It would be interesting to me if they could, it, they've got the timelines all over the place in terms of when the shows are taking place, but it would be interesting to me to see an Academy show where when characters graduated from Starfleet Academy, they could show up on other shows. Um, that would be interesting um maybe yeah. you set a starfleet academy show during the time of strange new worlds and like you could have an older cadet who graduates onto strange new worlds later down the road for that show because kurtzman does keep dropping this crossover stuff and that is you know all the trend these days so it seems like something they would happily engineer no matter how awkward it is to do I think you've just guaranteed that uh the lead character will be one uh, cadet Chekhov in this new starfleet academy spinoff series right Oh, I mean, that would, uh, oh, geez, that could be legit great, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's a way of developing the character without having to worry about incorporating them into Strange New Worlds until, like, the finale. I, look, uh, I know she's an NCO, but you could have an appearance by, you know, Janice Rand, who's maybe auditing some uh, some officer courses to add to her yeoman sort of uh, resume, you know, like that. that could be fun. Yeah, and I it seems like with interviews they've been giving about Strange New Worlds Season 2 and saying like they're going to have a new engineer that's not Scotty, which you and I, I think we're quite happy about because that's what we were discussing fairly recently on the show, that we would like to see a new engineer that isn't Scotty. Um, it seems like they're not in a rush to put the status quo into effect, but if you had the development of a young Chekhov, you could like save it for that final season uh -huh. and or maybe just the finale, and that could be really cool. So, okay. But... Okay, when I was watching, like, season two of TOS, do you get the sense that, like, 
Oh, okay, okay. No, wait, wait a minute. Remember Khan said he met Chekhov? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Space Seed, of course, was in season one of the original series. I'd like to believe we just never, like, we just missed Chekhov, you know, at, you know throughout the cameras just weren't on him in that first season. He was still there serving aboard the ship, you know, and then it was only until, like, uh, the second season that he got promoted to the bridge. I think that, okay, I could totally buy that then. Yeah. Maybe Chekhov was just on, like, overnight duty like Crusher yeah. was for yeah, that yeah. period on TNG. I like how when Crusher was on overnight duty, they had to dim the lights on the bridge, you know, just like... <laughs> That's the worst. That's so cruel to do to people that are, like, doing overnights. What's it's the like, point of dimming just... the lights? <laughs> it's to acknowledge that you should be asleep right now. Now sit in this comfortable chair and stare straight ahead for hours. That's so dumb. You're in outer space. The sun does not, like, um, uh, you don't, you're not revolving around the, or rotating on your access uh, your planet's access to get uh, sight of the sun there. So I don't know. That, that was that was pretty goofy. Picard's pretty eccentric. Maybe he just demanded that. Okay. Um, just, <laughs> that seems yeah. like a Jellico move, though, doesn't it? Oh, it does seem like a Jellico move. Where, where's Gamma Shift? Get. How come you did not implement <laughs> Gamma Shift, uh, Riker? What season did Crusher um, start assuming those duties? I believe it was season seven because I think that was the episode that gave uh, uh, Troy inspiration to pursue her full commander uh, rank versus just lieutenant commander. So you're saying after the events of Chain of Command. Am I? Oh, yeah. yeah because that's she season was, oh, six, yeah. right? Yeah, because yeah, because season six, that's when uh, Jellicoe said, <laughs> you can't dress like that on the bridge. You need to wear a uniform. And it's like, okay. And then she was wearing her uniform from there on out. But I believe it was uh, season seven that it was that scene between Crusher and Troy in which the lights were dim. And yeah. Yeah, and but okay, so it was Descent though. Remember, uh, they left it like kind of a a skeleton crew in Descent, uh, and at least it, it was we didn't really get into it until the second part. But Beverly was in command of the skeleton crew in uh, Descent after they put um, what I think it was like seven hundred and fifty officers on this one planet just to find data, which we thought was a little odd. That's true. Yes. Um, hmm. I think we can establish now, though, for canon that. Jellico was the one that came up with the idea of the dim lights, and that carried into season seven. Okay, I, I think like that, that all makes sense to me. I like that. I like that. Uh, okay. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're kind of joking about it. Uh, what do you think the possibility is that we do get a seven of nine spinoff? I think that is the strongest possibility for an existing character getting their own show. Yeah. And I'm just. It seems to me like it's not something that after watching season one and two of Picard that I'm that particularly excited for, but. If I am the creative team, you know, the Kurtzman company going to Comic-Con and they are going to be doing a Star Trek universe panel, from what we're looking at right now, you know, the things we know with Strange New World Season 2 and all that, what can they announce that's going to get excitement? I don't know that there's much. So I think like if it was an announcement of a Seven of Nine spinoff show, that would at least get them headlines. Uh, that and a uh, Isa Brionis, Will Wheaton Traveler spinoff series. One of those two. That as well. Um, other than that, like, maybe the casting of a legacy character on Strange New Worlds? But I don't know that there's anything with the existing shows that's really going to really, like, warrant the build-up they've already started of the panel that's going to be at Comic-Con. I'm sorry, Cam. A legacy character on uh, Strange New Worlds? Is Captain Kirk not enough for you, sir? How greedy are you? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think Rand is a real possibility. I, I think there's a few characters that they could add on to the show at some point. Well, yeah. I Look, I, I think Kirk will be the most notable name that we get in the second season. I, I'm sure you can put some periphery characters, even some, like, shout-outs, you know, that would be fun. Do you think we might get another Harry Mudd appearance? I know that uh, Rain Wilson has talked about wanting to do it, so um, it seems like he's kind of actively, you know, knocking at their door, so it would make sense. I think Harry Mudd, I mean, just given what they did with Harry Mudd on Discovery, which I think really did work, and especially that short trek um, with Harry Mudd, or correction, Star Trek short trek. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Actually, correction, Star Trek short treks. (laughs) Like, that short trek was really good. And so... The way they've worked the tone of Strange New Worlds, it seems like a perfect fit to bring that type of Harry Mudd story, the type we got in that short trek, into a Strange New Worlds episode. But you have to do it when, like, Pike is on shore leave and he encounters Harry Mudd. Otherwise, it's weird that, you know, Spock, Uhura, you know, Nurse Chapel, they don't all say, hey, remember that in, in TOS, like they would have recognized him, you know? Yeah, exactly. They have to keep it separate, where it's maybe like a landing party of like Pike, Laon, and someone else. Do you think we get an appearance of the Mirror Universe again in uh, the Strange New Worlds kind of uh, time? Like, I, I know that that's kind of Discovery's domain at this point, but I don't know. I, like, I, I don't think it's out of the question. I, but I think you'd have to solve that problem the same way that you did with Star Trek Enterprise, in which you don't have the uh, prime characters necessarily interacting with the mirror characters. Like you would just do full out mirror universe adventure. Yeah. One of the things I admired about season one of strange new worlds was that it didn't just run to all of the favorites, you know, like we didn't have Klingon stories or we didn't get the Romulans until the uh, finale. We didn't have mirror universe. So I'm hoping like season two sprinkles in stuff, but continues to tell their own stories. But like the mirror universe were it not for Discovery really just milking it like crazy, I think we would probably have a Mirror Universe story. I just wonder if they want to hold off on that just a little bit longer. Like, maybe we get one in Season 3 or 4. Okay. Uh, now, this kind of leads me to my next question. What are the chances are that we get, like, an appearance from Prime Lorca in Season 2 of uh, Strange New Worlds? That would be an exciting thing to announce at a uh, Comic-Con. But would they announce that? It just seems so spoilery, you know? Like, I'd love that to be, like, a surprise, you know? Yeah, but they've got to announce something that gets people talking. Do they? Well, yeah, gets people talking. Okay. I just, I would be disappointed if they announced Prime Lorca, you know, uh, Jason Isaac's return. I'd want that to be a surprise. Because, Kate, okay, remember watching part two of Terra Firma? Oh, God. And it seemed very obvious that whatever that guy in that shuttle was like i don't know like something something dudley yeah it, it seemed as if they're trying to set up an appearance of mere Lorca in that instance and for whatever reason i, I thought it was so obvious but I, I my guess is there's scheduling issues and jason isaacs just wasn't available that was ridiculous through the entirety of like the first episode they just kept referencing Lorca, and you're like here we yeah. go part two and then they didn't deliver oh I mean, that's, I guess, Discovery in a nutshell. All promise, no delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, okay, so Cam, I sent you this uh, quote uh, earlier today, and um, I- I'll read it. I'll-, I'll take out the expletives, but um, 
This is uh, from a Vulture interview with Eric Kripke. He is the showrunner of the Amazon Prime breakout series, The Boys. Uh, He's asked about streaming TV series, and he says this, Cam. He says, The downside of streaming is that a lot of filmmakers who work in streaming didn't necessarily come out of that network grind. They're more comfortable with the idea that they could give you 10 hours where nothing happens till the 8th hour. That drives me effing nuts, personally. As a network guy who had to get you people interested for 22 effing hours a year, Hmm. I didn't get the benefit of, oh, just hang in there and don't worry, the critics will tell you that by episode 8, S really hits the fan. Or anyone who says, well, what I'm making is a 10-hour movie. F you. No, you're not. Make a TV show. You're in the entertainment business. Cam, that kind of sums up, uh, I think, our issues uh, with Discovery and Picard this past, uh, their respective past seasons, right? Yeah, I mean, I think what he's describing to me is more Picard than Discovery, because Discovery was like 13 episodes of just blah, whatever it was. The last season was just like, (laughs) even by the finale, you're like, well, it was fine. But it's not like it was fireworks at the end of that season where you go, man, what a what a big finale. It was like, eh, it was just kind of like a straight line that season. But like that is to me Picard in a nutshell, where like Picard season two, I thought had a very strong first two episodes. And then it was just like, okay, we're done. Now just sit and wait. And then we basically just set the table for like six episodes or seven episodes or whatever. And then had you know, momentous things happen in a finale. Silly things <laughs> involving, like, Borg Marines or something, or Borg mercenaries, but... And, and drones, and, and not just the, the Borg type, but but the flying type of drones as well. Yeah, but they basically hit you with all the events, quote-unquote, in the finale. Like, they basically wasted your time because they're like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, it's all going to come at the end. Like, that's ridiculous. People don't sit through movies that are boring for two hours to get excited about the 15 minutes at the end. I know. I know. It's uh, It just tells me a lot of these folks that are making these streaming shows, they're not coming from a television background. And so they don't really understand kind of what makes for, like, really good television, you know. And so it's just when you think about a show like The Sopranos, that that wasn't made by a filmmaker by trade. It, it, David Chase was a guy who like was on the who wrote for the Rockford Files, uh, Northern Exposure. Like he went through that network grind for thirty years, and he th- there's so much stuff that he didn't like about it that by the time he got to The Sopranos, he's like, I'm gonna make a like a TV show that actually be good, you know, something that kind of like builds on the character stuff and, and isn't beholden to all of the kind of the network notes, you know. Um, all the time and you can only get that if you have somebody who truly understands the mechanics of television and i I just don't get the sense that that's the people discovery or picard right now even look at ds9 with iris steven bear who had a career in television before star trek and how when it came to ds9 he figured out how to really tell a fantastic story that gave you those individual hours of entertainment um but that worked as a larger whole um I don't know if we will, in our lifetime, see Star Trek storytelling as confident and as bold as what we saw in DS9, but I'm always crossing my fingers that that could happen again. I just, the best quote from Iris Stephen Bear is when he was saying how, by the time that they realized that the studio had was officially just ignoring Deep Space Nine, it was when they did a full episode centered on Vic Fontaine, <laughs> and they got no notes, no pushback. It was just kind of like, like, wow, we can pretty much do whatever we want, and nobody's going to care. 
you want to be the ignored show, which I think Lower yeah. Decks has the advantage of, kind of. It gets to do whatever it wants because they're more focused on Picard or, uh, you know, Discovery. And I hope they aren't more focused on Strange New Worlds because of the excitement over season one. Hopefully not. Hopefully they let that one kind of operate a little bit off to the sidelines. But uh, yeah, like DS9 had that advantage. They were more focused on TNG and Voyager. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, do, do we want to jump over? Like you alluded to it earlier with uh, the release of the motion picture on 4K, which was uh, fantastic to watch. Uh, sorry, I should say the director's cut. The director's cut. High def 4K. Uh, look, I, I and we found out that we'll be getting a full release of 4K, uh, the TOS movies, uh, you know, uh, coming up in September. I'm very excited for that as well. I guess we're not just re- waiting on kind of a full release of the TNG movies in 4K next year. Would you think that's likely, Cam? That seems like, yeah, it seems like they like to do these releases on, you know, the September anniversary of Star Trek. So I would suspect that that's when the TNG movies will land. Yeah, you can watch uh, First Contact in 4K on Paramount+. Plus. I haven't done that just yet. It's just, I think I watched First Contact like fairly recently, and I'd have to say that's a movie, uh, by no exaggeration, I've probably seen 20 times. So it's kind of like, I can only, uh, despite how amazing I'm sure it looks in 4K, I want to space it out just so I'm that much more excited and engaged while I'm watching it. If they are looking to rush it, they could put the TNG movies out on First Contact Day as well. That's also another um, option. Okay, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm I'm most curious about whatever the transfer would look like for Generations. I just think that's a show or a, a film that has a lot of potential to look uh, incredibly well done in 4K. They did a lot of weird cinematography and lighting of the uh, Enterprise D in that. You have a lot of other amazing effects, though, like the uh, the Nexus ribbon, um, the explosion of the uh, space station that uh, just with the Enterprise D zooming off, the D never looks so incredible, in my opinion, there. Uh, you know, it's just like, like that's kind of the, the release that I'm actually most looking forward to, even though I think it's uh, probably the worst Star Trek movie made. I go back and forth on this. I know we ranked it as the worst, but I sometimes start to question myself and go like, that movie is not good, but it has interesting elements that stick with me versus like Nemesis, which like nothing sticks with me. I barely like remember the movie after mm. I watch it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I would say, look, I genuinely think that the first hour of Generations is, is fine. It, it, like uh, no issues. It seems like a B, B plus mad scientist episode of tng which we saw many of yeah it's just once you get to the nexus that's where i just kind of tune out and i stop caring uh whereas nemesis like it's a show i, I know I, I know what you're saying it's, it's a film that doesn't really stick with you but there's not that much stuff that i find absolutely egregious the same way i do the second half of generations save for the way that they dispatch of uh data and uh the blank stare Jordy gives data when <laughs> data leaps to his, uh, to meet his maker aboard the scimitar. It's like if you're gonna give me a bad Star Trek film, give me one that is at least kind of weird. Which is why you know Star Trek Five will never be fully boring to me because it's making some pretty weird choices. Yeah, and like Generations does make some very strange choices throughout. So like, even though I would say it's probably an inferior story to Nemesis, it might be a more interesting experience to watch. If that makes sense. 
I get you. I get you there. Look, I will forever be the apologist for Star Trek V. I, I, like, it's just such a goofy movie, and it's so much in the spirit of the original. I, I have a tough time uh, hating on it the same way so many other people do. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I mean, it's one that I'm going to be buying the 4K disc for Star Trek V. Um, I am very tempted as well to buy the, like, $100 motion picture box set. I'm... I think I'm going to. Okay. I I need that slightly longer cut. But but you need to put it on your. Is that something that you'll buy straight out, or will you put it on your Christmas list and hope uh, your your family gets it for you? I'm gonna buy it straight up. I think. Wow. I think so. Uh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I uh, think. Well, so. then you'll have to do a review of it uh, on on the show. Like, just talk about uh, uh, the box set and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't mind doing that. That seems. I'm less likely to plunge on box sets these days i'll usually wait but like that is one that i'm like oh they've got me like they knew exactly who their customer was (laughs) and they knew that there was people like me out there who would just like leap for that instantly so it's not it hasn't popped up yet on amazon canada so i'll probably pre-buy it when it does but uh i know it's listed on like the u.s ones and the uk amazons but not us yet okay well look okay so if tng in 4k comes out what it essentially means, you know, is that we've got high definition versions of every single Star Trek property, save for maybe the animated series, uh, other than uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. There, there's no high def version of those shows, which if you add them all up, it's more than 300 episodes. That is a giant investment for Paramount to make in doing proper HD transfers. Like, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. I wonder, though, like, I I don't need to see, you know, uh, the pores on Bashir's skin, you know, like we'd get in 4K. You know, like, I, I don't even necessarily need a true HD transfer. What I think the most practical and most economical solution might be is tapping a lot of that um, AI-powered software that is out there that we've seen demonstrations of that you know fans have been using this software where it's not true hd but it is so close to what hd actually looks like that it's essentially kind of using ai to kind of fill in the blanks that exist on screen in the uh in the standard definition transfer so yeah you'd need to do a little bit of touching up for any slight mistakes you know, kind of blurriness that the AI renderings would create, but it'd be something that looks fantastic. It's not just about the sharpness on the screen, but it's um, the, the the way that the colors were supposed to be envisioned and look like and all that sort of stuff. So that's, I think, the, 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 the best possibility, the best outcome that we could get, but I just don't know. Like, how long is Paramount going to sit on having those two shows, these iconic shows, being the only ones in standard definition. Yeah, and when you look at like Prodigy, which puts like Janeway say, so front and center, it's like they want to reintroduce like Voyager to perhaps a new audience and stuff like that. And I'm in kind of in preservation mode when it comes to DS9 and Voyager. I'm less concerned about my own experience of watching a you know high def transfer of those shows versus like keeping them relevant and in the conversation and not looking like these antiquated shows that like no 
new viewer would ever sit down and watch because they look so creaky. Yeah. And so it's like, that's what I'm more worried about is just the ongoing legacy of those shows because I'm way more into DS9 than Voyager, but I think they both deserve their place at the table. And if we can have high quality versions of the animated series and Enterprise, which are perhaps lesser Star Trek shows, but they're still important to the larger picture and people can get those. So I just hope they do something because it would be, I think, very sad if DS9 and Voyager kind of got a little bit left to the sands of time because of the fact it doesn't exist in a form that is as um, you know eye-popping as the new stuff as well as TOS and TNG. If we kind of want to slightly look on the bright side of things, I mean, we did get a couple, you know, high def scenes of Deep Space Nine in the What We Left Behind documentary. Uh, we're getting promised some high def scenes in the upcoming Voyager documentary as well. But to me, it's just, it's not enough. And it's not fair that that's all we've got when every single other property has received kind of proper high def treatments to date. And it's also like notable, you know, you mentioned those docs um, for DS9 and Voyager. Those documentaries were, you know, fan financed. And I mean, the fact is CBS slash, you know, Paramount would be very aware that there is a huge fan base for those shows and that those shows really, really matter to people. It's not like they're looking at like their library and seeing old episodes of like F Troop and being like, is this worth putting into 4K? <laughs> I don't know. You know, um, Hunter, is this a show that we should be putting into 4K? It's like with... Um, Hunter, thank you. <laughs> with That's like, a blast from the past. <laughs> with DS9 and Voyager, they know that these shows have major impact, are important, and deserve that legacy going forward and have a very rabid fan base. So it's like... I think it's just like them coming up with an economic model to make it work. And if AI gets cheaper and cheaper and they can figure out ways to do it, I think they will. Because it just benefits them to have those shows in their library. Well, I'll tell you what, here, here's kind of the, the capitalist instinct that they that would make sense for them is promise, you know, hey, uh, Paramount Plus subscribers, uh, in January, we'll be releasing season one of Deep Space Nine on high def. In February, season two season three and like just do it on a monthly basis until but by then you're going to get like people 14 months in a row continuing like continued guaranteed subscribership for that period of time i i just think that that's kind of the uh the cutthroat capitalist way of uh making a, a business case for it yeah because the thing is they're not going to remaster voyager and ds9 out of the goodness of their hearts because you know oh it's just no. such good shows <laughs> we, we need to do that um they're going to do it because there's a viable you know business reason to do so and I, I think that makes a lot of sense like the idea of just kind of getting people hooked on re-watching these shows and releasing them in improved versions um and and kind of like releasing them the well in a way it would just be like a more modern version of when they were putting out say the tng um high def sets you know you put out like one a year or whatever it was one every nine months and people run out and buy them, and then they get the next one, and you know you get them on the hook that way. I think that makes sense. Okay, um, maybe a couple other you know bullet points we can go through as we wrap up uh, the current state of Star Trek. Um, one of my favorite uh, sorts of uh, merchandise producers out there for Star Trek, uh, Eagle Moss. Uh, they produce like those high quality uh, uh, ships, like that you can buy, kind of the like not build your own models, but like pre-made models of like runabouts, uh, enterprises, that sort of stuff. It looks like they're going under right now. Um, 
that's very unfortunate. Uh, I, my, uh, I, I hope the fans that had orders in place, they get refunds or, or, or something like that, but uh, they just make such high quality products. The, the, the thing that worries me though, is they, as Star Trek merchandise producers, they're not able to make kind of an economic go of it. And I don't know if it's for more macroeconomic issues going on, you know, with inflation. Also, the company's based in the UK and, and uh, Brexit hasn't done that country any favors when it can, comes to their own economy either. So, uh, or I, I, I don't know if it's that or if it's just like, what is demand for Star Trek merch this day and age? Yeah, I'm bummed because while I didn't buy Eagle Moss ships, I bought a number of their books. They had some really well put together books. I got their Voyager Celebration, and then they're also uh, original series uh, celebration books. And they just had like a level of depth I don't get from most publications. And so it really bums me out that they're, you know, going under because those types of books are what I would like more of. Um, <sighs> Star Trek merchandise is such a weird thing because it's a very niche group that buys it. You know, we've seen that when the Kelvinverse you know, movies were going on, they weren't exactly cranking action figures out like crazy. They had some for 2009, and then it was like, okay, that's that. And yeah. we have gotten next to no Star Trek Discovery merch. There's little bits here and there, but not much. Picard, nothing much. Strange New Worlds, we'll see. But, like, it doesn't seem like there's a huge appetite. In terms of an audience outside of a Star Trek con audience that's willing to spend a lot of money on Star Trek merch. So, yeah, maybe that is the problem. It's like you can set up an Eagle Moss, you know, stand at, uh, you know, Las Vegas Star Trek Con, and it looks like it's just gangbusters. People are buying ships and going crazy over it. But that's a like, that's like a few hundred, you know, a few thousand people, whatever. It's not a worldwide audience that's buying those ships like crazy. You bought me a Kelvinverse uh, Enterprise Micro Machine. Uh, you gave it to me a couple of weeks ago. W was that from like, into Darkness? Does that ring a bell? It was from the Into Darkness line because they also put out a USS Vengeance, yeah. Okay, okay. Ah. Yeah, it's just that the, the, the um, Kelvinverse merch really wasn't there. Although I did like the... Um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, the ship that, or that uh, one Edison commanded. Why am I, why am I blanking on it? It's a, I, I like the design because it reminded me quite a bit of the NX-01, but uh, that was like kind of a cool ship design there oh the franklin the franklin yeah like i wish uh like i could have gotten my hands on like an eagle moss model of that you know yeah it's a real like bummer because i really liked their work um i loved looking at the, the the displays they would set up and just how they really had done like all the you know even the most insignificant ships in star trek like it was a pretty fascinating collection so it's a bummer that it's not going to really exist anymore and I don't know who would be encouraged to take their place after seeing what's happened to them. Well, you and I, uh, we were both determined we'd get models of the uh, the USS Vancouver, the Parliament-class starship that appeared in Season 1 of Lower Decks, and it just doesn't look... Uh, like, Eagle Moss had just announced plans for that. doesn't look like that's going to be able to get our hands on that. You know? So that, that's kind of a bummer as well. I don't see the USS Vancouver model saving the company <laughs> by releasing it. Yeah. No. No, you're right. Um, okay, sir, uh, we talked about it just a moment ago, uh, you know, con fans. Uh, you and I will be returning to the Las Vegas convention for the first time since 2019. I cannot believe 
It's been three years. That 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 absolutely boggles my mind that it's been three years since uh, we've gone to a convention because you and I uh, we would go every single year. Uh, it was always a lot of fun. Um, I, I'll be honest. I'm still a little weary about what a uh, a COVID era convention experience in Las Vegas of all places, where there aren't that many rules there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what that's going to be like. Uh, where my anxiety levels are going to be. Uh, look, if we catch COVID there, I think it's kind of, um, it's a risk we've got to take, but you and I, we're, we're vaxxed up as much as we can be at this point. Uh, you and I, we both kind of play it safe and it, it, I'm of the mind. It is what it is. Uh, let's be smart. And we've taken every, um, uh, means of protecting ourselves. And so I'm, I'm ready to have fun while having a safe time too. I'm in the same boat. I'm definitely a little bit apprehensive but that's really because i haven't traveled um much at all yet um since the pandemic began so whereas i know you know friends of ours have traveled you know internationally and stuff like that so they're a little more confident i haven't had that experience yet so hopefully it's apprehension that when i get there i go okay you know what it's fine i'll be okay I will say this. Yeah, like, so I've traveled down to the United States twice uh, so far as the borders opened up uh, this past spring. And um, both times made me a little bit more at ease of, um, you know, uh, getting across the border, going from restaurants or bar or what have you uh, into stores. Um, It made me feel more at ease. But uh, we're also going to have to deal with international flights which i did not have to do when i'm you know driving down to seattle or or uh, bellingham uh, those kinds of locations um i've flown once but that was a domestic flight i'm going to fly again at the end of this month um as well but another domestic flight so i'm getting like uh, so what i'm getting at though is like um ahead of vegas I, i'm going to be getting my uh, my travel legs uh a little bit more muscled up i guess uh, so to speak yeah yeah i'm i'm very excited to go to the con it's been too long. I am fascinated. I didn't go, obviously, to the last creation um, event in Vegas because, you know, for us, it was just a little too uncertain to be traveling at that point. But I am just interested in seeing what these cons are like now that they don't have the, uh, you know, the CBS Paramount license and just what the vibe is like. Does it feel different? So I'm just going to be going, I think, very curious to see what a creation event is like under these circumstances. And we'll be at a different hotel as well. Instead of the usual Rio, uh, which has a huge convention center, we'll be at Bally's, which uh, Rio is a bit of a dump. I think Bally's is a kind of a, a step up in terms of uh, the, the quality of the infrastructure, but the ballroom uh, will be smaller, the main ballroom at least. And I think the uh, the secondary ballroom, it's a bit more of a walking distance at the Rio. Uh, the secondary ballroom and the main ballroom, they're literally across the hall from each other. Whereas I think we have to cross the casino, or at least somebody said it, it's like if you're a fast walker, it's going to be about five or six minutes of walking distance to get from one ballroom to the other, which is a, a change of pace for us. So, yeah. It'll be a new experience, but um, it's one that uh, it, it can't come soon enough. It's been too long since I've been able to go to a convention. <laughs> I am excited. I, I do have one maybe question before we uh, wrap this up. We kind of joked about it earlier about Star Trek films. There's been nothing major in terms of announcements about a new Star Trek film. Do you think at this time next year, a Star Trek film will either be in production or maybe finished production? 
Well, that, that's the plan. Uh, so we have the Matt Shackman film that is uh, underway right now. They have a script ready. They've got uh, Matt Shackman as the director. They've got the, direct, the director attached. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're currently in negotiations with the actors. Uh, inter- based on interviews from actors, uh, it seems as if everybody um, is all on board to do it. But I, I think the, um, the studio kind of messed up their leverage by announcing that they're going to have a Kelvinverse film in theaters by December 2023 before speaking to any of the actors about this. It means that the actors are going to be able to negotiate uh, pretty nice contracts. The only thing that makes me worried, though, is um, we're supposed to get the uh, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine Star Trek movie almost immediately after Star Trek Beyond until Paramount uh, backed out of the contract that they had agreed to with Chris Pine. Yeah. So... But it was a different regime back then. I just think that's right now Paramount. They've got to be desperate to keep this uh, this film franchise going. It'll be seven years between movies, which is absolutely insane. Uh, the last time we saw that was the gap between Nemesis and uh, and the 2009 film. Uh, it's hard to believe. But at that point, you switched uh, casts You know, in between. This is going back to the same cast. So... I feel confident we will have a Kelvinverse movie uh, by end of next year. Yes. Okay. Well, I would like to see it because the Kelvinverse movies have been up and down, but I have a lot of fondness for that cast. And even if it's their final one, just give us, you know, a good send off movie and I'd be very happy. Here, here. I I agree. Like it's kind of, it seems beyond like that wasn't. Like, you could think of it as, like, their last movie, but it just, it felt as if there were more stories to tell with that crew, you know? It's a little too small to be a finale movie. And I don't mean in terms of, like, you know, explosives and all that sort of stuff, like big, you know, world-ending events. I just mean in terms of, like, the movie, it felt a little too... Middle of the road is insulting, but you know what I mean? Like, kind of like that middle-of-the-road adventure versus, like, a real sweeping adventure to kind of wrap things up. Also, I'll just point this out. You know, um, the TOS crew—they were making those movies until they were in their sixties. The, uh, the the Kelvinverse folks—they're still in their forties. You know, we, we could get another twenty years of them, right? And as actors get older, they also get cheaper. So maybe that's a good model. True, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, will they be wearing the same um, Admiral Pike uniforms that we saw in the finale of Strange New Worlds? Uh, come the uh, the next film. I don't think so. I think they're going to redesign them themselves. <laughs> I think uh, we're going to have more wetsuits, I think. I like it. There you go. Uh, just like the ones worn in uh, the opening sequences of Star Trek Into Darkness. Correct. Right? Yes, exactly. Which I'm wearing right now. Yeah. So, okay. I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Well, Cam, next week we're going to have a bit of fun uh, examining the past 10 seasons. You heard me right, 10 seasons of this Kurtzman era uh, that started in 2017. We will be talking about the top 10 episodes of this new era of Star Trek, as well as ranking where all these seasons from these each respective series land for us. So I think think it'll be a fun thing. Like, we don't want to just, like, (laughs) kind of rag on a lot of the shows we want to kind of celebrate what's uh, going well so i i think next week will be a, like a fun examination of this modern era of star trek and also to highlight what works because the thing is if this whole era was terrible we wouldn't be compelled to talk about it it's the fact that like sometimes sure. they make yes. things that are genuinely good and get us excited which makes some of the disappointments hurt that much more so there's a lot we can highlight that's very positive i think yeah i'm pumped yeah 
Okay, you can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Voyager in 4K, please. Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-A-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in nominate Ortegas for Best Supporting Actress next year at the Emmys. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.